Now, um, I want to jump into uh, the next part of this series, 10 questions that Jesus asked. And uh, I want to start our time by bringing you to the movie theater. And my question for you is, what is a movie that you enjoyed so much, that impacted you so much that you had to come back, you had to go back to the theater for a second time? You went to see it, you loved it, and then you're like, hey, you grab a friend, you gotta, you gotta come see this, and so you buy tickets again, you buy more popcorn, you sit down, you watch the whole thing again. What was a, what was a movie for you that you went back to the theater for? I know that uh, we got a bunch of Marvel fans, okay, so maybe Endgame, the very last of the Avengers movies, that, that was one that you went back for. That's, that's like a three-hour movie, so that's a six-hour commitment, so you know, you're all in on that. Let, let's go a little bit older. Okay, how about this one? I mean, just another reason the 80s were awesome. Okay, Top Gun. And, you know, there's a new one, Maverick, which if you haven't seen it, I'm just saying, fantastic. But uh, maybe this was a movie that back in the day, uh, you went back a second time. Or maybe you're a little more seasoned in life. So let's go back to 1977, okay, when Star Wars, the original Star Wars came out. I talked to a friend this week who confessed that when Star Wars first came out, she went to the theater seven times to see it. That is commitment, and I don't hate it. I'm a Star Wars fan. Uh, but for me, this is, this is one that came to mind. This movie came out in 1999 when I was in college. Anybody know what this is? The Matrix, right? Okay, The Matrix. I loved this movie. First off, because visually, it was just stunning. I mean, the camera work, the special effects, it was like, I, I hadn't seen anything like it. It was just unbelievable to watch. But also, the story in this movie was just so compelling. So, uh, The Matrix is about this guy. Here he is, Neo. Uh, actually, let's uh, go back. Neo is uh, the main character. And he's this guy who just has this sense that uh, there's something more real out there than he's experiencing. Something, uh, you know, something about his life just isn't totally right. And uh, it turns out he's correct, because if you've seen the movie, you know that his entire life is really just a computer construct created by evil machines to keep him imprisoned for life. And, so, and that's the Matrix. And he kind of figures this whole thing out, and he gets to this, this point where there's this big decision where this guy named Morpheus, that's the dude who's wearing the glasses. I know it's a strange picture, but if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what's going on here. And this guy gives him a, a decision, two pills, a blue one and a red one. And it's like, you can, you can take the blue pill, and everything will just go back to normal. You can just go back to your, your regular life and just go about your business, or... You can take the red pill, and you will discover what real life is. And of course, in the movie, he takes the red pill, and it's this crazy, wild adventure. So that's, that's Neo, that's the Matrix, and you might be thinking, like, what, what, why are we talking about this? Uh, well, here's the deal. The story from the Gospels that we're going to be looking at today, there's this young man who's asking similar questions as Neo, he has this sense that there's just something more real out there than what he's experiencing. And he comes to Jesus with this question because he sees something in Jesus that is deeper, more meaningful. It's kind of like the, the life that he's looking for. Now, what's interesting about this young man and his search for a deeper life is that if you knew this guy, you'd be like, why are you asking these kinds of questions? 
Because this guy kind of had it all. I mean, he was rich, like really rich. He had influence, leadership. He was young. And you know how things work. If you're young and have money and influence, he's probably good looking. It's just how things work. And on top of that, he's a really good person, deeply religious, in fact. And so it's like, why, why when you have all of this, are you asking these kinds of questions? But here's what he says to Jesus. He shows up and he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's like, I want something. I want eternal life. And I can see that you have something that I don't have. Now, these two words, eternal life, they're, they're really important in the scriptures. Key, it's a key idea in this story and in really all of the Bible. And when you think of eternal life, there's this aspect where you go, okay, it's like my life stretching into eternity. It's, it's life after death. It's, it's heaven. It's life with God. It's my life extending into eternity. That, that is eternal life. But in the scriptures, there's a second aspect to this. And that aspect is that somehow the eternal qualities of the heavenly qualities of life would somehow reach back into this life, into my life right now. In other words, that I might be experiencing some of the heavenly life right here and now. And I'm talking about experiences like peace and hope and purpose and fulfillment. That's also eternal life. And this guy's going... I want that, and I see that in you, Jesus, and so how do I experience that? Now, Jesus responds to this guy's question with a question, which, by the way, is a very Jewish rabbi thing to do. This is what G Jewish rabbis often do. You ask a question, respond with a question, and Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, but the question he responds with here is very interesting. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This young man shows up and he says, good teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, why, why do you call me good? And I'm thinking, because you are good. <laughs> and also, you are God. What, what is Jesus doing here? I think he's giving this young man a shot across the bow. It's kind of like a warning this conversation is not gonna go the way you think it is. In fact, your entire notion of what it means to be good, I'm gonna flip that completely upside down. And what you believe is gonna lead you to eternal life, whether we're talking about life eternal or also the eternal qualities of life now, what you think is gonna get you there, I'm gonna flip that upside down too. As this conversation progresses between this rich young man and Jesus, it's gonna become more and more unsettling and challenging. So that's the rich young man. What about you? I mean, here's this guy who kinda of has everything and he's going, I feel like I'm missing something big. I wonder if you feel like that sometimes. I wonder if you feel it when you're driving home from a really good job that you have and you just find yourself going, why, why am I so unhappy? I mean, other people would kill for this job, kill for this salary, and why am I so dissatisfied? 
I wonder if you find yourself asking questions like that. You move your family into a, a bigger and a newer house, and you discover after a few weeks that you still have the same challenges. Your kids, though they all have their own bedroom, they still fight. And you're just going, I thought this was going to feel different, bigger, better, and more fulfilling. Or perhaps the questions that you have about eternal life aren't, aren't about the qualities of heavenly life now, but really about living forever. And you find yourself driving along, listening to Christian music, song about heaven, and this weird thought pops into your head like, will I be there? Is God going to let me into heaven? And you feel this uncertainty. I wonder if you wrestle with some of the same questions that the rich young man is wrestling with. And I wonder if you're willing to be challenged and unsettled like he's going to be. Because I believe that what Jesus has to say today in this conversation has the power to lead you into an entirely different experience of life, eternal life, something deeper and richer than perhaps what you're experiencing right now. So where we're headed in this conversation is Jesus is going to reveal to this rich young man two false paths to eternal life, two dead ends. And then he's going to reveal to him one true path to eternal life. So let's jump into the conversation. As we already know, it begins with this guy showing up, asking a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds with a question. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then it's like he says, you want eternal life? Okay, let's talk. If you want eternal life, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. What's Jesus doing here? He's quoting the big 10, the 10 commandments that God gave his people Israel to show them what it looks like to live in relationship with him and be his people. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is, look, if you want to experience eternal life, that's going to involve your life honoring God. It's going to involve honoring your creator with your life. And this young man goes, totally, I get it, I buy it, I'm with you. In fact, he says this, all these things, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Ever since I was a little kid, I have been careful, I have been intentional about following the commands of God. Yeah, I get it, I totally buy in. I'm all in for that. And I get the impression that he's feeling kind of confident about it probably because he's been very careful with it. And I wonder if, if some of his confidence perhaps comes from comparison, where he's going, well, if it's about honoring God, like I'm doing that a lot better than them. <laughs> and those people in my uh, town, like I'm following the commandments more than they are. I wonder if some of his confidence comes from comparison. He's feeling very confident. But the problem is, Jesus is about to take his understanding, his concept of what it means to be good, and flip it upside down, because Jesus says this. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. You have been careful, you have been intentional about following the commands of God, but I need you to understand something. You still come up short. You're still lacking. 
And this is incredibly important for this rich young man to hear, and it's incredibly important for us to hear. Because the first false path to eternal life, the first dead end is this, being good. And by that I mean thinking that you could be good enough, follow enough of the commandments, enough of the rules, being good enough to somehow earn eternal life. And the truth is that any attempt to earn eternal life will come up short. Which brings me to a story about a friend of mine I had in high school who had a sweet red Acura. I know it looks like a Ferrari. It's an Acura, okay? Now, I'm not going to tell you the name of this friend. First off, because I went to high school with a bunch of you. And also, well, you'll see as the story progresses why we're not going to reveal my friend's name. But uh, you're wondering, like, how in high school did this guy have such a sweet car? Well, okay, first off, his dad owned a car dealership. And so he let his son drive around in, in some pretty awesome cars. And I really enjoyed riding around with my buddy because that was his car and this was my car. Um, just a little different. 78 Cutlass Supreme, mine didn't look quite this nice. We called it the Blue Bomber. And so uh, if the choice was, hey, show up to the football game in this or back to the, his car, that, uh, I'm, I'm chilling with my buddy. Okay. So I loved hanging out with this guy, first off, because he had a sweet red car. Secondly, he was a really nice guy. And then thirdly, we got into some really deep conversations that I enjoyed. For example, I remember one time asking him, Hey, man, if you were to die tonight, do you think you would get into heaven? And I know what you're thinking. Like, how and why would you ask a question like that? It's kind of strange. Well, one of the things I forgot to tell you about my friend is that he, yes, had a sweet red car, but he also liked to drive it really, really fast. I mean, like, scary fast. And I grew up around racing, and I mean scary fast. And so I remember a time we were driving home, I think, as I recall, from a football game, and he is just flying down the road, and I'm in the passenger seat. And I'm a little uncomfortable because we're flying. And then I look in the rearview mirror, and behind us are some lights. It's the police. And I'm thinking, this isn't good. And my buddy says, I think we can outrun them. <laughs> and I thought, this is not a good idea. And he hammers on the gas. And the next thing I know, he is flying like Formula One style around curve and another curve. And then he slams on the brakes, whips into some random person's driveway and shuts off the car. And I kid you not, the cop just sped right by down the road. And I said, if you were to die tonight, <laughs> because we might, do you think you would get into heaven? Okay, I definitely asked him that question and that story about running from the cops definitely happened. I don't remember how close they were together, but we were in his car when I asked him. But this, is, this was his answer. I hope so. I hope so because I'm a good person. I go to church and I think I've done more good things than bad things. Do you think you're gonna get into heaven? I hope so. That was his answer. What about you? What's your answer? Is it, I hope so? And I wonder if you're basing your answer on your ability to be good enough. 
that somehow you're going, I, I think I've done more good than bad. And I just need to remind you of something that Jesus already said in this conversation with this rich young man. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. See, here's the problem with thinking that we can be good enough to earn eternal life. The standard is not somebody else in your neighborhood, your classmate, your parent, the standard is God, who is perfect. And so if you're trying to be good enough, you have to be perfect, and none of us is perfect. And so Jesus says to this guy, don't trust in your ability to be good enough to earn eternal life. It's a dead end. And I wonder how that makes you feel. Nervous, scared, recognizing before a perfect God, I fall short. And how does he feel about me? And the lies that I've told and the mistakes that I've made, the small ones and the big ones, how does he feel about me? You know, this story is recorded in three different Gospels. We're, of course, looking at the one in Luke's Gospel. It's also recorded in Matthew, but it's in Mark as well. And I want to show you something that Mark records Jesus saying just before he tells this guy, you come up short. Because I think it's really important in this conversation. Mark tells us that Jesus looked at him, the rich young man, and he loved him. He looks at this guy who's confused, lost, little self-righteous, and he loved him. And I need you to understand that God's love is not dependent on your goodness. It's dependent on his goodness. It's not dependent on your ability to be good, to behave well. He just loves you. End of story. And so if you're wondering, man, how does God feel about me if this is who I am and I come up short? He loves you. And you need to remember that. But listen, that doesn't mean that everything is okay because we still fall short. And so what do you do about that? We're going to return to that. But for now, I think it's just important that in this story, Jesus loves this guy enough to tell him the truth. He loves him enough to say, listen, this is a false path. Thinking you're going to be good enough, it's a dead end. That will not get you to eternal life. And then he says, and neither will that. And you're going, well, what's that? Ah, it's the second false path. It's the second dead end. It is that. Let's discover what it is. Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What's going on here? It's like, okay, hey, uh, you'll never be good enough to earn eternal life, but if you sell everything you have, give it away and follow me, then you're good. What? Okay, what is Jesus doing here? I think Jesus is giving specialized custom care 
to this guy. He's telling him, you need to sell everything. Not because money is bad, but because this guy's relationship with money is a problem. What this guy believes about money and what it's going to do for him, that's actually the problem. This, this deal about sell your possessions doesn't apply to all of us. It applies to this guy because money for him is that. It's that thing that he is trusting him, trusting in to provide, to deliver the kind of life that he wants. Those eternal qualities of life, that heavenly life right here and now. I think this guy believes his money is going to give him that. And Jesus is challenging him. He's saying, look, if you want to experience eternal life, don't trust in that. Detach yourself from that. Because I think this guy has attached his sense of value and worth to his money. It's become part of him, and he believes it's going to give him the kind of life he's after. And so Jesus would say to us, if you want to experience eternal life, you've got to stop trusting in that in your life. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what you believe is going to give you the kind of life, the meaningful life that you're after. I can only tell you one of the things that it's been in my life. And for me, it started when my dad brought a couple dump trucks full of sand and dumped them into my backyard. And you're thinking, why the heck would he do that? Well, he was transforming our backyard into a beach volleyball court. And why would he do that? Okay, back again to Top Gun. Do you remember that scene where Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer, no shirts, jeans, volleyball? It was the 80s, I mean. Okay, so anyway, my dad turns our backyard into a beach volleyball court, and this became a thing for me. So here's my, me playing some uh, beach volleyball. So let me tell you a little bit what I discovered through beach volleyball. First off, I discovered that very cool, popular, attractive girls liked playing beach volleyball in my backyard, and I can't tell you how good it made me feel being a nerdy nobody to have really cool girls uh, want to hang out with me. That's when I was like in middle school. And then when I was 12 years old, a friend of mine and myself signed up for my first two-on-two beach volleyball tournament over at Holland State Park. And uh, there, there was no like kids division. And so we were just playing against grown men and whooping them. And can I tell you how good it felt to watch grown men get frustrated and yell and say bad words because they were losing to kids. I loved the way that it made me feel. And then in high school, I discovered that being a volleyball player as a, as a guy, I mean, it's very unique. Like, there's just not a lot of dudes that play volleyball in Michigan. And so I was in with the girls' volleyball team. And every uh, year we uh, had, during homecoming week, we had this tournament, four-on-four -four tournament. And I always got in invited to be on a team with some of the best girl players. And the finals for that game was always in front of the entire school during the pep rally. And every year I won. And I can't tell you how awesome it made me feel to have all that attention and to perform and do great in front of all my peers. And then I went to college. And I played college volleyball, and I did well. I was all conference. I was a captain on the team. We played in championship games, and I loved the way that it made me feel. And then after I graduated college, I decided I'm going to play professional volleyball. And so I, I started uh, 
traveling on this like semi-pro tour in Michigan. Now, don't think Olympics, okay? It's not like that. It's not California, it's just Michigan. But I was, I was playing against the very best people in the Midwest, in the Midwest, two on two beach volleyball. And you know what happened that summer? I got it handed to me every single weekend. I got destroyed every tournament. That whole summer, I won one game. And you're probably thinking, well, that's pretty good. Semi-pro, that's, that's a good journey. No, that's not what it felt like. After all that time of all that attention and feeling so good and unique and special, and this is my thing, it was a that for me. And that summer was miserable. I gotta tell you, I behaved like an idiot in that, on that tour, and I'm not proud of it. I, I was constantly angry. I remember a time that I just grabbed the ball after a tough play and just booted it you know, across the beach. All throughout my life, volleyball was like a ministry opportunity. In college, our team would go into the uh, juvenile detention center and we used volleyball to share Jesus with, with kids that were in jail. And on this tour that summer, I didn't build a relationship with anybody. I didn't share Jesus with anybody because I was mad the whole time and I was frustrated and I was treating people badly. My relationship with God suffered because somehow I was like, why aren't you blessing this? Why aren't you helping me? I, you know, I've been faithful to you, what in the world? One of my closest friends was going through a very, very difficult season and I was just oblivious to it because I was so wrapped up in my frustration about this thing, I'm a volleyball player and now I'm no good and I'm a nobody. It was a bad summer. And you're going like, dude, it's just a sport. No, it wasn't, it was a that. And when you lose your that, or your that doesn't work, it crushes you. That's my that. What's yours? Because I think part of the warning that Jesus is giving this guy is that your one win summer is coming. If you attach your sense of value to how you look, your 40s are coming. <laughs> it's not always gonna work. If you attach your sense of value to achievement, at some point, somebody else is gonna get the promotion. If you attach it to being needed, your kids are gonna move out of the house. Then who are you? And that's the danger of putting everything on a that. It's gonna give me the life that I want, maybe for a while. But that one win summer is coming. And so Jesus tells this guy, sell it, give it away, detach yourself from that and attach yourself to me. Look what he says again. He says, sell everything, give it away, then come follow me. Jesus is saying, listen, what you're looking for is me. You want life? I am eternal life. I am life itself, Jesus says, and a connection with me is a connection to life. What you are searching for is me. You've got to detach yourself from the that in your life and attach yourself to Jesus. That is where you will begin to experience those eternal qualities, that heavenly kind of life right here and right now with peace, joy, purpose and fulfillment. And he offers this 
to this rich young man. But he, like so many of us, is unwilling to go for it. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I mean, this guy was like rich, rich. And he can't do it. He is unwilling, unable to detach himself from his that. And maybe that's really where you're at, where you're just going like, I get it, I see it, I don't think I can do it. I think it's impossible. And you know what? It is. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about next as we jump into the final, the one true path that does lead to eternal life, what I'm calling transfer trust. You've got to transfer your trust. And Jesus is going, it's impossible. Check it out. Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) It's so hard. And this should be alarming to us because by first century standards, we're all rich. And Jesus says, Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who was rich to enter the kingdom of God. The camel was the largest animal in first century Israel. And of course, a needle is tiny. So it's not like, hey, you know, it's kind of hard, but sometimes it happens. It's like, no, no way, impossible, can't happen. And so the disciples, they're thinking the same thing that you're thinking right now. It's like, well, then what do we do? Check it out. Those who heard this ask, who then can be saved? Are we all doomed? <laughs> I mean, what in the world? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You can't do it. He can. With you, it is impossible. With God, it is possible. But you have to transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus. That's the idea. If you want to experience eternal life, whether that's your life extending on forever, or if you want those eternal qualities of life in your life right now, you have got to transfer trust from yourself to Jesus. In other words, if you think that you can earn eternal life by being good enough, You can't, it is not possible, but with him, it is possible because Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live, a perfect life. And he offered that life as a perfect sacrifice so that if you transfer your trust from yourself to him, you can be forgiven. You can be restored to God and you can experience eternal life life. In fact, Jesus' own words, this is how he put it. He said, to those who listen to me and follow me, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. I asked you before, how do you feel about standing before God as coming up short? Makes you nervous. But when you transfer your trust to Jesus, he gives you eternal life and no one can snatch you away. It's incredibly secure. I love that truth. 
Transfer your trust from your ability to be good enough to him. From your goodness to his goodness. That is the true path to eternal life. And when we talk about that quality of the eternal life, the heavenly life here and now, don't trust in that. Transfer that trust from that to Jesus. Because that is the path. A connection to Jesus is a connection to life itself. And so stop trusting in that. Start trusting in Jesus. And if you're going like, I, I just don't know that I can break free from that. <laughs> let me remind you. Let me remind you that when you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust him, that he gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit to live within you, God's very presence within you to empower you and to transform you. I just believe that if you walk with Jesus, if you continually surrender to his authority, he will transform you and you can break free from that and trust in Jesus. I believe that can happen. And so many of us could describe stories where God has done that in our lives. That's what Jesus is offering if we transfer our trust from ourselves to him. But this rich young man, he goes, it's not worth it. I can't give up my money. It's not worth it. And maybe that's really the final question that you're wrestling with. Is it worth it? And that's exactly what his disciples, Jesus' disciples are wrestling with. Because Jesus, uh, Peter, look what he says. We have left all we had to follow you. And I don't think this is like a humble brag. Like that, that guy leaves, like we're all in, Jesus. We're the good ones. No, I think this is, a, this is a question. We've left everything, Jesus. Is it worth it? Is it gonna be worth it? I mean, Peter left behind the security of his family business, the fishing industry. Matthew left behind the security of a very lucrative job. These guys, all of them, had left behind a that, and now they've attached themselves to Jesus, and they're going, is this, is this going to pay off? And look at Jesus' response. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age, in this life, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is going, it is worth it. It is worth it. You will be rewarded beyond what you can imagine. You will experience eternal life both in the future and you will experience the qualities of that eternal life in this life right now if you transfer your trust and follow me. So that's the invitation. And that just leaves us with the choice. Back to the movie theater. Movies that brought you back a second time. For me, I told you about The Matrix. And one of the things I love about that movie, again, is that choice. Blue pill or red pill? He goes, this one, you'll find out just how far the rabbit hole goes. And it strikes me that this decision is not that much different than the decision before the rich young man and not that much different from the decision before each of us. The blue pill 
just go back to your life. Just go back to trying to make that work. Just go back to trying to be a good person. Forget about all this. Or the red pill, which is the true path to eternal life. Which one, which one are you going to choose? And my hope for you this week is that each day you would choose to transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus and that as you do, you would experience more and more the kind of life that you're looking for, the kind of life that Jesus promises. And so, Heavenly Father, as we close our time in your scriptures, first we just thank you that you gave us this invitation. God, we are the ones who broke your perfect creation. We are the ones who wrong you and wrong each other day after day, and yet somehow you love us, and you gave your son for us, and you offer this invitation to believe and follow and experience your eternal life both now and forever. God, you are incredible. And God, for those of us who are wrestling in this difficult space of leaning on a that and recognizing we've got to let that go and trust in you, God, would you give us the faith we need? Would you give us the courage that we need? God, would you meet us in that space and help us and guide us? God, we love you for who you are. We're so grateful for you, and we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Grateful for this time together. Hey, next week, Brad Holmes, pastor of Union, is going to be uh, here to finish up this series. Hope you're going to able to make it. I think it's going to be a great weekend. We'll see you.